It's Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go on a Monday. Cofield and Company, Adam Hill, Steve Cofield, Demond is back in our Finley Toyota studios. Good weekend of sports action. Good week ahead. Uh, today we've got a parade in town. We've got Championship Series baseball. We've got Monday Night Football with arguably one of the best teams in the National Football League. So here we go, off and running. Come on, first of all, how you doing, buddy? What's going on back at the studio? Uh, it's kind of cool in here today. So if Adam was wondering, you know, I know you what? didn't come in. You didn't come in at all, at all last week, Steve. But Adam, it's kind of cool in here today. Good deal. Nice. Good, good to hear it. Nice. The unpredictability uh, may change plans in the future. We'll see. We'll see. Adam, what's going on? Busy weekend? I know you were not in Chicago, right? I was not. I was you, here. You went to a wedding? I did on Saturday. You have fun at weddings? Uh, it was pretty fun. Okay. It was a good time. I don't know if that was one of the many happy events that the rest, uh, rest of us enjoy that you lament over. No. Nah, you're sour about. It's fine. I mean, I do think it's preposterous. I agree with you. It, I mean, it's so much money for a wedding yeah and you go and it's i mean it's a great time and it's all this stuff but it's just a gathering of like all your friends and family to that you, that you could do anywhere yeah with less pomp and circumstance and for less money for sure yeah. and you just look around you're like I, I i did find myself kind of at each for each thing that happened like oh, how much was that yeah. oh good my goodness it's not my money but it's just you, you just think about okay what there's a violinist what are we doing yeah like, what are we doing? That's why on Sports Talk Radio over the years, uh, you know, people will get emotional in arguments with us. And, you know, they won't do it to our face, but especially with uh, social media where they get real angry over something that might not necessarily be a sports topic, a male-female topic. And they'll be like, that's why you're not married, loser. I'm like, no, what Adam was just talking about is actually why I'm not married. And it was, look, it's it was two of my closest friends. It was a lovely, lovely yeah. occasion. Like all those things are great. Everybody was cool. It was a great time. But it is mind-boggling for yeah. people who are less than super rich, yeah, to spend tens of thousands of dollars on a party that you could actually have. Uh, why not just budget it out for every anniversary, uh, every year that you stay together? I was thinking you could do that. You could do you could do ten of those. You could have like kept cut the guest list like in half and every like flown everybody to like Cabo for yeah. a week. Yep. Like that would have been that's like, oh, that would have been great. Why wouldn't you do that? That's craziness. But I do want I mean it was I don't you know, I'm not trying to rip on it. It was a, a great time and oh, I, yeah, no, it. It was I was great. so happy for them. It was awesome. It was awesome. But I wonderful. I just think of that every time I'm at a wedding that's just like, man, this is nuts. Um I might use wedding budget for some bowl trips. There you go. You're you're gonna need one this year. Well, fans are of the Rebels. Uh, technically, I could go to two. Nah. An unheard of weekend for me. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I think one is going to be excited about their season, and one will not. I don't get it. I mean, it's not a a great year for Rutgers. Excuse me. Is that what you're talking about? I mean, not a great year. They it's... they clinched the bowl game. That's the goal. Okay. Now try to win a couple more games and onward and upward. Okay. You know, I don't think their goal. Every year is to win 10 games or win a conference. You know, crazy enough, UNLV, I think we can actually start the discussion that they could possibly beat three of the best teams. I think Boise is still in the mix, but they could, you know, take out of those three games, Wyoming and Air Force and Fresno State this week, if they could win one of three, two of three. If they win two of three, 
then we're talking about something here. And then they've got to take, you know, take care of business in spots where, and, you know, traditionally in the past they have not, uh, but they could actually push for, dare I say, eight, nine wins. Are there Rebel fans right now listening who are like, eight wins or six and one? You got to be realistic. Schedule toughens they, up. They, the, the schedule does toughen up. And they've done what they needed to do against the first, you know, whatever, 60% of the schedule. Now it's going to get tougher because the two of the most dangerous teams from a matchup standpoint are on the road in Fresno and Air Force towards the end of the season. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, I would say two games left that you think you expect to win. Um, but other than that, even if they lost the rest, I think you'd already say successful season. Uh, they go eight and four. Yeah, Absolutely successful. For sure. I think there will be some people who might be disappointed by that. But uh, what they've accomplished to this point is a massive step forward. They're six and one. They've had two come from behind victories. Jaden Maiva was in there for both. He made a mistake against Vanderbilt, then rebounded to you know, nail a massive pass to Ricky White uh, down the left sideline. Guess what? It happened again. It wasn't as deep. But on a final drive with, what, 44 seconds left, they went 56 yards in 41 seconds. And then Jose Pisano, this guy we don't know a whole lot about, runs on the field, and it's like, yeah, okay, yep, field goal, yep, good, okay, yeah. we're good. There was almost no doubt. And I'll, I'll and also... That, but think about that. How many situations, and the NFL's gotten kind of crazy with kickers, they're, they're, they're really, really good. But in college, every program doesn't have a, hey, go down the field, get in inside of 35 yards for a field goal. And there's no doubt. I and mean, that's, that's a nice accomplishment on a guy they picked up on the transfer market from freaking Missouri State, who, by the way, you want to talk about a, a team that has so many good stories on it. All these different people who the core stayed around from Arroyo days. There's still some Tony Sanchez guys, right? Then you got a roster that brought in 55 new players. Um, is there anyone at UNLV who's like, man, Bobby Petrino is a good guy. Right? He screwed him over inside of three days. Guess who got this kicker? Bobby Petrino. I yeah. asked uh, Odom about it today because I wanted to make sure I had it right. I'm like, he was at Missouri State. Pisano was there. I'm like, I think he hooked him up with this kicker and then bailed a couple of days later. And then good on Pisano, good on UNLV. They stayed together. And look at what's happened. The kid has now nailed 18 of 19 field goals, leads the nation in made field goals. And amazingly going back, I think we were counting it on both of the broadcasts. UNLV has not had as many wins as they've wanted, but it hasn't been due to their kicking game. Yeah, uh, they good. are now going back to Goot the Boot now with Pisano. They're 57 of 62 on field goals over yeah. the last four years. That yep. is insanity, and it continued with a game winner. And, uh, you know, a tough spot against a, a CSU team that is talented, uh, did play pretty well in the first half. I think they've, they've got a lot to build around. So they're 6-1. and one. Yeah, and people talk about, you know, the hashtag college kickers and crush on them all the time. Not not with UNLV. It's been a strength of the program for a while, for sure. Um, and, I, and I will say, just in terms of, like, excitement, I kind of feel bad just going back to referencing uh, you, you said I was at a wedding this weekend where I, of course, was like, I, I can't. I can't stay away anymore. I got I to gotta put this game on. Did you? So it was the fourth quarter, about midway through. I was trying to track play-by-play, play, and I saw, finally said, all right, I got to watch. Like, I have to turn this thing on. So I flipped it on on my phone at the table while the speeches were going on. You flipped on radio or? TV. Oh, yeah. All right. Oh, what? Complaint? What's the problem? No, uh, it's know. during the speeches. And then people started, like, coming over to the table. Because <laughs> there is a genuine excitement about UNLV football. Yeah. 
And then I said, oh, no, now I feel bad. So what'd you say? Uh, the, the second half of the fourth quarter, like everything down the stretch, yep. we watched, we watched the whole thing. Um, I'll also say one of the people that walked over to the table was Tyler Bischoff, who was there, came over. And then I think he said, you know what? I probably shouldn't oh, wow. be standing here, uh, in the middle of the wedding during speeches. So then he turned it on his own, his own phone at his table. Boy. And I think he had a group over at his table as well. Heavy dedication by the staff, huh? Right. The mom, the mom was out there watching the game. We're at a wedding instead. Okay. Bowl eligibility game. All right. We were watching. Okay. Wish I would have got the invite the to the wedding. It sounded like a good sound. time. You have, a, you have it cranked up? No, nah, I turned the Come on. Off. Who wants to hear the sound? It was great. <laughs> Matt Never did an awesome job on the game winner. And I got to tell you, he we'll, – we'll grab this. We'll have to grab this tomorrow. The Vast Town crew didn't have time to do it today. Um, the the end of the game, he kind of – you know he sets up the scene, game-winning field goal, then talks about what was, was accomplished. And for a second, I was like I, – I had to catch myself. I'm like, this is, this is kind of nuts. Yeah. After what the program has been through and trying to build over the last, you know, going uh, back to Arroyo and Sanchez, you're looking at whatever it was, seven, eight years. And I, I caught myself. I'm like, I got to pull it together here. And then I just started yelling about like all the cool things that I was watching because it, it was it was a cool moment. There's and as I said a couple minutes ago, a lot of good stories. And um, I tell you, here's the thing with the players. And I don't know if they're going to beat Fresno. It's a tough test on the road. And we'll break it down a little later. We'll have a conversation with Jack Haas, the center. We'll also talk to the athletic director, Eric Harper on this Monday, uh, what Odom says, I think is really impressive in that, Hey, this is one goal and now you reset. And now you have another big goal to go for, which, you know, there's only one guy that I know of publicly who said, Hey, you know what? UNLV can win the league. You did, you did a big, uh, you know, gotcha investigation to find them who voted UNLV first. Hold on. Uh, you were so fired up to catch someone who is a fan jabroni. Yeah, and then and that's column, not the way it turned out. The column was not that crazy. It, Matt explained it well. Yeah. Um, we'll get to that, okay? Because yeah. I'm also seeing – I'm kind of seeing the the happiness at a level that's so crazy that I think there's some facts missing from it. The staff has done a wonderful job. The oh, newcomers yeah. have done a wonderful job. There were some things that were put in place, as has to be the case at any – miraculous turnaround. So we'll save it. Um, miraculous turnaround. I think it's a little overboard for the Raiders, but right now I think it's an organization. It probably feels a reeling a bit unless behind the scenes, they know, Hey, Garoppolo is going to be back. This was just a maintenance thing and we'll have him the rest of the way, but I don't think they know that. And yesterday against Tyson Bajent, Bajent, Tyler, because I think in the open, the TV announcer mistakenly called him Tyler. Um, to lose to that team the way the Raiders did, that's rough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it was, again, as you point out, it's not just that you lost. Like, you know, it's a, a three point spread, even two and a half, really. Um, it's kind of a toss up game. But that was not a toss up outcome, that was a blowout. Uh, just a, a butt kicking from start to finish. That's that's not acceptable. That's what was not acceptable about that game yesterday. And a lot of, I mean, a lot of things. Obviously, some inexcusable missed tackles, which some had to do with effort, uh, an inability to get anything done on third down. Awful. Like there's just a ton of things that happened. But it, the bottom line is that is a result that is not. It it's not acceptable for a team at this point in the season. It's just not for a team that needed to win badly, that needed to stay relevant. You know, in the in the standings and all those things, handed on a plate to him, and I, and obviously Garoppolo being out is not great. They had some other key injuries, but 
Tyson Bajent. Seriously? Good player. And, and he did make a division couple of nice two plays. Player of the, year, the, the division two Heisman I, winner. I get it. But again, another guy who was undrafted was kind of shocking to see the Bears say, you know, they had PJ Walker in camp, right? He was yeah. going to be the two. So yeah. they move on from him, go with the cheaper option. And this kid's out there and he's, you know, he's serviceable at least. But the, the biggest thing was, I, there's so many things we'll get into, but the tackling was horrendous. And if the Raiders, especially their defensive backs, uh, with, um, Deontay Foreman with a full head of steam. If the Raiders running backs tried to shoulder him down one more friggin' time, I was going to break my TV. I don't care that much about the Raiders, so I'm not breaking a TV. But it was, it must have been infuriating for teammates to watch that and the coaches to watch trying to blast him with a shoulder. Uh, the guy goes six one two thirty six. Stop. He's not going down. Well, I I'll say trying to blast him with a shoulder not acceptable, but also better than some of the efforts. Like someone just got out of the way. Like, that's not acceptable at all. Like, th- those are, I-, I would say, at least if you tried to shoulder him down, I mean, it's it's lazy and it's not going to get it done. But at least it's an effort. Did you like his celebration? Of course. Can you describe what was going on? Uh, the running slap, which c- comes from the uh, viral video. I think it was from Thailand that was going around this week, uh, which was fantastic. It's basically, him- it's basically a slap fight, but you're not allowed to slap the other person in the face. You're just slapping their chest. But there's a lot of acrobatics going on. Oh, yeah. As they're spinning and jumping on each other. And, yeah, a teammate came up to Foreman and just started slapping him on the chest. And then I think he did one of the acrobatic moves. Yeah. I mean, that's that's how comfortable the Bears felt in this game. They're like, hey, let's we're going to show off here. Well, it's also credit for being so social media savvy to to have seen the video going around and uh, to incorporate it right away into your celebration. That was tremendous. The uh, the audience that uh, has been lamenting uh, Taylor Swift must be very angry. So. Not not TikTok yeah, savvy, not internet savvy. Yeah, you don't look, want any let's, top- just, let's act like you've been there before and just put the ball on the ground and run to the sideline like Barry Sanders. No, let's have fun. You don't want pop culture seeping into no, the NFL? No, I don't want any of that. Yeah. Just football. That's all I want is football. I don't want to have to learn things. Why would you? Ridiculous. All right, we'll examine the Bears. Check that. A little more with the Bears, but we'll examine the Raiders uh, the rest of the way. We'll get back to some UNLV stuff and – now we got to ask a question. What's going to happen here at quarterback? Is Jimmy G going to be healthy? What about the decision to start Hoyer? There were a lot of people coming out of the woodwork towards the end of the game saying, oh, I told you, AOC should have been out there. Josh McDaniels does not agree. Now back to Cofield and Company at the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, Adam, thoughts on Brian Hoyer for the Raiders. Missed on a lot of passes, had a couple of decent moments. Wasn't great. No, wasn't great. Uh, wasn't dynamic, and I think that was the concern um, when you when you go to a Brian Hoyer, who is the ultimate, especially at this point of his career, the ultimate game manager. And I think that's what went into him getting the start was because you go into that game thinking, okay, probably going to be a very low-scoring game, probably not going to be a whole lot going on on the other side. We need to avoid sacks and turnovers and just – make sure that we make enough plays to, you know, win what should be a very low scoring game and probably an ugly game. Uh, that to me was the decision. It was the right decision and how the game probably should have played out. Now, the problem is you fall behind, uh, you know, through a couple of different things. First of all, they actually started off pretty well, got a three and out, went right down the field and missed a field goal because my, you know, Daniel Carlson got hurt pregame and I think that affected a lot. Uh, so you miss a field goal, and then the Bears come right back down the field. Like, you could have taken an early lead, and maybe the game plays out a little bit differently, but I think that missed field goal kind of turned the momentum a little bit. 
and um, the Bears took advantage of that, and then you start falling behind, and that's not where Brian Hoyer is going to succeed. He's not going to rally you and and come back. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think you you got about what you thought you were going to get out of Brian Hoyer, but the game did not play out the way that you thought it was going to play out going into the game. I think that was the issue. Okay, lots of people, um, folks from The Athletic, uh, folks from VEASAN, I put in our rundown saying, told you, what's the point? Play AOC. And Josh McDaniels, after the game, talked about the decision to start Hoyer, and uh, I think he gave a pretty stern answer about AOC. Fire this. Yeah, but this isn't the preseason anymore. You know what I mean? We we, 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 we had a, a, an entire week of practice in L.A., you know, or some most of the week, you know, we had an opportunity to practice them, um, you know, and there were some good things. And there was some other things that, you know, we needed to, to work on and fix and obviously get better and improve. So, um, you know, that, that's such is life in that regard. You know, when, you're, when your starter is not available, you know, you're trying to make what you think is the best decision for the team. Again, I, I don't put this all on one person now. Let's make sure we make that clear. There's a lot of people uh, that can do a better job of what we did today. And, uh, and that's what we're going to need to do. All right. What do you say to people who are crowing that Hoyer is no good? You know, why not give AOC a chance? I mean, did I? This is what what's confused me. Did people watch when he played? I think a lot of people did not because <laughs> we've had we've had multiple people come on the show and they're like, "Yeah, AOC showed some things," and I'm like, "I he showed that he's not ready right until he gets lots of reps and a lot more practices, and the season is 100 percent over." But he's not ready to play in the NFL. I mean, it, they, the Chargers. By the way, the Chargers defense is not good. No. And they could have sacked AOC 12 times in that game. Yeah. They had six by one guy. Yeah. And it was on him and then a couple of fumbles. He's not ready. And I'm not saying Brian Hoyer's great, but you can't tell an organization where many people are fighting for their jobs. They have a wide receiver who comes out every week and says, I want to win now. You can't just go, yeah, give it a shot. Yeah. There's no there's no give it a shot at you know. Going into week seven, now week eight in the NFL. What's, it, to me, was what was the goal? If if your goal was to try to win a football game yesterday, and that was the only goal, Brian Hoare was the choice. If your goal is to, hey, look, this season's not going anywhere. We've turned the page. Now, the fact that they're 3-3, three and three, I think, changed it. If they would have been let, – let's think back. They could have been 0-6 entering yesterday. I mean, they had the win over Denver by a point late in the game. Uh, the Packers and Patriots both had the ball with a chance to win in the final minute. They could have been 0-6. And if they were, Aiden O'Connell was the choice yesterday. That's easy. But they're trying to win a game. Brian Hoare is the choice. We just described why. Aiden O'Connell in his first game had little to no pocket awareness, struggled to understand you know, space uh, in, in the pocket, struggled to protect the football, um, turnovers and sacks all over the place. Now, yes, when the Chargers went to prevent defense late in the game, he accomplished some things, looked a lot better. And it was silly for the Chargers to do that, but they did it. And, you know, O'Connell almost rallied them against, you know, the prevent late in the game. And and I get, you know, maybe look at the final stats and say, hey, look, not that bad if you ignore the turnovers and the, and the sacks. Yeah, yeah. Not, um, not that bad yeah. if you ignore those. Yeah, uh, but you can't. And I, I just don't think he's ready. Um, when you do go to him at some point this season, if you do, it's because the season is lost. Like, to me, that's when you make that decision. We saw the Aiden O'Connell experiment. And, yeah, it was his first game. But I don't necessarily think that he showed anything between then and now that, he, that he'd that he be ready. 
Um, we did see Brian Hoyer last week come in and lead them to a victory and play the way that I was just describing. Of not, don't make mistakes. Don't make turnovers. Take the shots when they're there. Just manage the game. And I think that's what they wanted out of yesterday. They didn't get it because they fell behind. But that seemed to be what the plan was. And I think that's why they went with it. And I think, look, there's a lot of things to criticize this team and this coaching staff and these players for. I don't think that was the, that was it. Now, again, if, you're, if your argument is, hey, the season's done, this team's no good, they're not going to the playoffs, okay. Now that conversation is open. Now I think it's probably better to go and play a younger guy and try to develop him. But you're 3-3 three and three in a conference that has a bunch of teams right in the middle of the pack that nobody's really separating themselves. Like, you're still alive. Wh whether the team is good enough to be a playoff team or not, you're still alive to make it. And now you probably aren't, but... You know, that was the thinking, I think, going into the game, and I don't think it was flawed thinking. I think it was right. And by the way, not only did we see Aiden O'Connell in a Chargers game, they see him practice every day, and they have a reason to want to play him. They drafted him. They would love him to succeed, and they look good. They know he's not ready. That's why he didn't play. It's pretty simple. What do you have to lose? I don't know. My job? Yeah, a game. Trying to win games. Yeah. Uh, and unless Mark Davis has gone downstairs or wherever the offices are and told Ziegler and McDaniels, no matter what happens this year, you're coming back. Then you can't expect those guys to look at this as a building project. No, no. And I, I no, again, I don't think they should. I mean, I do think they should, but where they were in the season, three and three and for one game. Again, if it was, if you said Garoppolo's out for four or five games, okay, let's, let's have another conversation here. But for one game, on the road to try to win a game that you think is going to be pretty low scoring, I think Brian Horror was the choice. Pizzotto looks up at the goalpost, now looks down. There's the snap, the spot, the kick is on the way, and the kick is good! And the Rebels have won this game, and the Rebels are going bowling in 2023. Jose Pizzotto with a chance to win the game from 28 yards. Penalty on the play, but the kick is good. There is a flag on the field in the defensive backfield. Might be on Colorado State. It is on Colorado State. The Rams had 12 men on the field and still couldn't block the kick. Now, back to Cofield and Company at the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, some classic discombobulation down the stretch there by uh, Colorado State. Rush situation, too many men on the field, didn't matter. Field goal was good. So we talked to a lot of UNLV earlier, UNLV football. Six and one now, qualified for a bowl game. That's a big deal. They still have a lot of goals in mind. You did the uh, investigative piece in the RJ. I'm trying to find uh, what buffoon voted UNLV to finish first in the league at uh, – the Mountain West Conference Football Media Day it turned out to be Matt Neverett, who was the voice on that second call, Russ Langer, on the first call. And as Matt explained to you, and I think it made sense to you, uh, they were 5-7 and seven a year ago. They were close in a lot of games, including, by the way, this Fresno team coming up. They outplayed Fresno, and they missed two tackles on the outside that led to touchdowns because the receivers for Fresno are traditionally awesome, and Moreno Cropper was that guy. Uh, they were close a year ago. So he thought the upside was there to make a big advance. And so far they've made a big advance that his opinion may be revisited very soon in the RJ. We'll see. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. You're going to do a follow-up that might happen. So I've seen 
more than a few people say what Barry Odom has done is miraculous. Um, I think he's done a really good job. Uh, the, the more interesting thing I saw was a fan claiming that it doesn't take time to build. Barry Odom has shown that. So is Lindy LaRock. Needing three or four years to build things up is nonsense. Nah, that's not what this says. Yeah, you're not following the roster. You're not following the team. Yeah. It's, it's not a one-year turnaround. It is the end of what started with Sanchez, right? And guys like Naki Fahina are still on the team. Continued with Arroyo bringing in players, who many of them are in the two-deep rotation. And anyone who follows the team understands that it's not just the starters. It's about 35 to 38 guys who are contributing to this because they've rotated a lot. It's those guys, and then it is a lot of good finds by Barry Odom and Brendan Marion and Ricky Logo and Michael Shear in guys like Pisano, like Jackson Woodard, who had double-digit tackles yesterday. They brought in a lot of good players, like Jackson Turner, like the defensive line rotation. But fact is, they've also got Tiger Shanks four years into his career at right tackle. They've got Amani Trigg right like six years into his career at right guard. Alani Makaheli, let me say his name correctly, Alani Makaheli was a Sanchez commit. And it took him four years to get on the field because you got to build on the offensive line. And just like on the defensive line, Jalen Dixon, when he was recruited here, you know, was a big sky guy, got offered by Reno. He's three, four years into his career. Jonathan Baldwin. Arguably the second best player on the defense behind Jare Williams, both from the previous regime. So this is not to take anything away from what Odom has done. What it says is Odom came in, everyone who was on the team got a chance, and the guys who were really good or he thought he could actually move to another level, they stuck around. He didn't come in and say, everyone get out, or everyone who's been here, you have no chance with me. He used those guys, augmented with the new guys, and then they've got a redshirt freshman quarterback who was landed by the last regime and and all of it together with, I think a much, you know, how do I say it? A much more adult approach, uh, much more adult approach to coaching throughout the week and the off season that has led to a good start. And by the way, the biggest thing is the previous regime was one in 10 and one score games. These guys are two and out. And when they play teams they are supposed to beat, they beat them. Yeah, so far. I mean, yeah. that's that's it's, what we've it's, seen. A, it's a seven game sample. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, th- I think it's it's tough to build very quickly if there's not some foundational pieces in place. Now, what would have happened with those pieces if it was the same administration or a different one that came in? We don't know. Like, it, they may not have taken the steps that they took. Like, it was taking some of those guys and coaching them up maybe better, uh, and getting them in more, in more position well, to succeed, and then I think adding the old, pieces that you needed. I'm sorry to cut you off. The O line and the D line are the prime examples. Their goal from the get go was hey, we think we have a good number of guys, but we can't rely on just four on the D-line and five on the O-line. And as it turned out, they had a crystal ball because both positions, well, especially O-line, got beat up right before the regular season began. So the fact that they were cross-training seven, eight, and nine guys to be ready, they needed seven, if not eight. And the D-line, no one plays more than 42 snaps a game. So they've got seven, eight guys who play, and it works. It seems like there's... Fresh dudes. The other thing I'm amazed by is I, I look out there on the field or look down there on the field and I'm like, wait a second. I'm like, wait, Ricky Johnson is back in the rotation after hitting rock bottom against UTEP and then the next couple of games didn't play and he's out there covering Tory Horton 
Um, I look out there and late in the game, Ose Agbase, who's, you know, say the, the ninth defensive lineman, he's out there in key moments. I look out there in a big cover moment and Quentin Moten, who to that point had played like four plays in the game, he's out there in the final three minutes. It's building a deep roster, cross-training, and then also trusting the guys who may be on the three line to go in when it counts because they're fresh and trust them to come through. Yeah, no no question. And and I think it's 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 also about, you know, having those guys while developing and also understanding where those pieces needed to be, you know, where you needed to devote your resources in recruiting. I mean, we talk, I, you know, to go back to the Raiders, we've talked about what this administration did when they came in, which was look at a roster that should have been torn apart. And they said, well, they were in the playoffs. Let's just add a couple pieces was not the right move. Like to me, that's where they put themselves in a bad position by trying to supplement a bad roster instead of rebuild a roster that needed rebuilding. And that's kind of why they're behind the eight ball a year and a half in when they should have restarted a rebuild a year and a half ago. We'll talk a and, little more college football. Yeah. Keep going. No, in this case, I think what, what, what Odom did and he kind of referenced it is came in and said, all right, look, there, this hasn't been a lot of success here, but there's this strength, this strength, this guy can play this strength. Now we have to go get these, these other guys to complement those pieces that are here instead of, you know, just adding here or just rebuilding or just adding all of our guys, understanding where those, those, you know, supplements needed to be placed and doing it. Now back to Cofield and company at the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. Time to wrap up the football weekend. Presented by Snack Nutrition, a little boxing as well. Steve Kim is with Adam Hill, Steve Cofield. Steve, what's up, buddy? Hey, good evening to you guys, or good afternoon. Start of another great week. Yes, but first we have to uh, kind of trounce all over or celebrate the uh, football weekend that passed. Uh, first of all, I want you to mention, everyone, before we do any of that, uh, what's going on with the uh, three knockdown rule? When is the next edition out? I know the uh, last one was out just a couple days ago. Yeah, this one will be out a little bit sooner, uh, different scheduling this week, and we're going to talk about what happened this past weekend with Jorge Linares, who lived in Vegas for years, had a fine career. He's going to announce his, or he did announce his retirement after his loss to Catterall. Pretty good fight at the Forum. And then we're going to talk about, unfortunately, for better or worse, the, the Tyson Fury, <laughs> Francis Ngannou expedition that takes place in Saudi Arabia. All right. Um, give me your reaction to what I think is an overreaction the, the last few years when the best program in the Pac-12 takes down USC, and that's Utah. It's like Groundhog's Day every year. Everyone is shocked by this. I don't understand it. I understand SC is very hyped. Utah is the better program lately in the Pac-12. Well, they have been, but I think the excitement comes from this. Utah has not had a lot of success at the Coliseum. They, they have certainly controlled that rivalry at Rice-Eccles Stadium in Salt Lake City. They protect their home turf. That's one of the great home field advantages on the West Coast. But you know, after beating them twice last year, you kind of figured USC season, if they really want to reach any of their goals, both individually uh, as it pertains to Caleb Williams and as a program, and also for the temperature on the seat of Lincoln Riley. I don't know if you know what's going on here in L.A., but, guys, there, there's some agitation over Lincoln Riley now. The honeymoon is over, which I find very interesting after a very strong first year, and we're still only eight games into what's been a decent year, but I get the sense that Lincoln Riley now has to make some staff changes regardless of how this season ends, or it's going to get a little bit dicey uh, in his particular position. Yeah, plain and simple, he blew it. 
we, we saw what we needed to see with Alex Grinch, and he needed to move on, and he was loyal, and he absolutely has to go out and get a top-notch defensive coordinator. Yeah, and you know what's funny? And look, I'm not a diehard USC fan, but I have a lot of friends who are. They either went to the school or they just love the university or the football program, and they tell me that they now understand the frustration of Oklahoma fans who for years enjoyed great offense, transcendent quarterback play, a lot of individual award winners. But, look, it is hard to tell any player, whether it's Caleb Williams, who's as gifted as you can ask for that level, that if your whole game plan is, hey, Caleb, please put up at least 45 points and do magic. I think that's a very difficult recipe for any player. And that is, the, I believe, the reflection, the self-reflection that Lincoln Riley is going to have to really think about this offseason. Do I want to be a glorified offensive coordinator that never wins anything other than getting to the Final Four, which is still pretty damn good? Or if you ever want to win a national title, do I now start to focus at least a little bit more on the other side of the football? If Caleb Williams goes to Lincoln Riley this week, next week, and says, you know what, Coach, sorry, the, the ultimate goal here was the NFL, I'm not playing anymore. What do you think the reaction will be, and what do you what do you think of that suggestion that was thrown out there? I think yesterday by Emmanuel Acho that Williams should shut it down. I think it's terrible, but this is what we've created with the NIL era. But with that said, there guys, aren't these guys now getting paid? At least I know Caleb Williams is he's on commercials Touché. that I see out here in yeah. LA. Yeah. I mean, you can make an argument for that because it does make some sense. Uh, I I will admit it does make some sense from Caleb Williams's perspective. However. You could make that argument a lot easier. It feels like 10, 15 years ago, you could say, well, all he's getting is a scholarship, room, and board, and his books. Well, he's actually getting paid a lot of money. Yeah. And with that, when you become a professional, um, whether it's a name only or, or whether it's something that's dressed up as uh, very, very different amateurism, he is still getting compensated for his play on the field. It's not for a student. And also, guys, I have to ask you something. If you were an NFL franchise and you had the number one pick, and let's say you love Caleb Williams' tangibles, but would you really want to take a player that would, in essence, quit on his teammates two-thirds through his year? Because what's going to happen in his third or fourth year if that team struggles, and let's say they're 3-10 and going into middle December, and he just says, you know what, guys, we're not making the playoffs. Let me just sit out. I mean, how how is all of this going to play out to his – current locker room and the teammates he has right now, you think? Yeah, I think that's part of the mix to consider, but reality says in the NFL there are organizations that are so desperate for a quarterback. Caleb Williams could do anything he wants, and of course they're going to take him. We've got a league that took Deshaun Watson with all of his warts, right? And, aside, and one of but the teams signed him to him? But $280 did we know million about him deal. Then? Steve? Yes, go ahead. Did we know about those Deshaun Watson issues then? Wasn't he a pretty clean prospect coming out of Clemson? A lot of these things that we talk about in association with Deshaun Watson happened while he was a Houston Texan. I think it's a little bit different. Okay. I, I don't think those two things are exactly analogous in my view. So what was the deal with the uh, Canes over the weekend? Uh, no Van Dyke and backup comes off the bench and does a good job. Yeah, I was actually there, and guys, it was dead at 17-7. Going into the fourth, it was very tough, but this was a gut check and a character-building win for the Miami Hurricanes program. I think Cristobal really needed it. you got to build some, rebuild some momentum. There was this malaise from the Georgia Tech 
uh, snafu. And uh, they have this young freshman defensive lineman named Ruben Bain. He, a guy that I, I don't think I'm being hyperbolic. I think he's the best football player Miami has had since Sean Taylor. And he, he's going to be a three-and-done type of guy. And when it's all said and done, he'll be in the pantheon of guys like Russell Maryland, Cortez Kennedy, Warren Sapp, and Jerome Brown. I think he's that good. Steve Kim as well as you can find him on Twitter at Steve Kim 323 The spot today is brought to you by Snack Nutrition. Damon, I want you to uh, get in on the conversation with another follow-up point here. We've been talking about McAfee and game day. What was the latest deal about some sort of contract thing with McAfee? It's not official if, he, if he's going to come back with game day next season. And the Athletic put out basically a poll that says, hey, this many percentage of the people that we asked don't want you to come back. And Pat McAfee had the lamest response to me. He says, I don't even know anyone who reads The Athletic. <laughs> well, look, look, we actually addressed this on a segment of Fearless. Uh, here's the thing. Pat needs to have thicker skin, and, and I, I like Pat. I think he works very hard. He's created a great brand for himself. But if he's going to let a poll determine his next career move, I don't want to say that's weak, but I don't think that's something that he should be doing. It's not something that he should admit. And, and you guys know this, being on-air personalities. We've been around the block. No one is going to be universally or unanimously popular. I mean, there are probably people that don't like Al Michaels. There are probably people that just didn't like Vince Scully or Chick Hearn or whatever legendary broadcaster uh, that you could think of. So there's a phrase that I use all the time that's been around for years. If you try to please everybody, you please nobody. My biggest concern is, and I did a video about why college game day is no longer the dominant force it once was, Guys, do you think Pat McAfee actually fits college game day? Uh, we've talked about it. I think he can. I don't think he's a perfect fit. And by the way, to be fair to McAfee, he did follow up beyond saying, I don't know anyone who reads The Athletic. He did say that, I don't know if I'm going to you know, sign up uh, for action beyond this because college football in the audience can be a bit provincial, and maybe I'm just not for them. Yeah, you know, you're right about that. But here's the thing. When you are on a show like that, I want you to be a guy that really cares about college football 365 days of the year, whether that's true or not. Because when, when I see Reese Davis, I think of a college football guy. When I, when I thought of Chris Fowler, I certainly thought of a college football guy. The coach, Lee Corso, David Pollock was a, was a Hall of Famer at Georgia, and he's no longer there. It, it's, a really, it, it's one of those things with college football fans. We are provincial. We're very regionalized. We all have our biases, and we're a little bit nutty. We'll admit that. But we want you to be all in, that even if we hate you, and we think, like Paul Feinbaum, Miami fans hate Paul Feinbaum, and maybe it's, it's, it's valid, maybe we all should, but you know what, I will give him this. The guy thinks about college football 365 days of the year. McAfee does a lot of other things beyond college football, and I just wonder if that's just another gig for him, and I don't know if he's ever going to have the same passion for that job the way, let's say, a younger version of Lee Corso once did. Let's think about the NFL for a couple of minutes here. And we're seeing more and more complaints about the tush push or the brotherly, whatever it's called, shove, shove right? Shove. The brotherly shove. I saw Joe Shad, who's covered the NFL for a long time, saying it's not a legitimate football play. I don't get where people are coming from on this. Um, if I was Joe Shad, I, I wouldn't go to any events in Philadelphia for the next 10 years of his life. <laughs> uh, I don't know him. I've never met him, but Joe, for your own good, please stay out of the city of not-so-brotherly love for you. I don't get this. It's, it's in the rules. Other teams have tried it. They are not as good. 
But, but as I tweeted yesterday, uh, you can't stop the brotherly shove. You can't even hope to contain it. I have never seen a play be so effective. And, and it puts the Eagles at a particular advantage in a sense that they only have to get nine yards, guys, in the first three downs because they are so confident in that play. And this is the difference between Brandon Staley and Sirianni. Sirianni has something in his back pocket that can say, okay, guys, brotherly shove, and you, and you turn the chains over. And so I just wonder, though, are you, are you upset by the aesthetic of the play or the effectiveness of it? Because it's been proven not every team can run it to the effectiveness of the Philadelphia Eagles. And the, the ironic thing is, isn't this what real, like, original football looked like? Like, he said it's not a football <laughs> yeah, play. This is what football looked like when it was right. invented. If you watch football back in the days of Red Grange and, and men of that ilk with leather helmets and the people were running the wing tee, it is kind of what this looked like. I, I don't know what they're going to do other than to say, because remember years ago with the Reggie Bush, the original tush, Bush Tush or whatever, Notre Dame, that was in 2005 at South Bend. The controversy was, and again, that was college, is that you are not allowed to aid the ball carrier forward. Somewhere along the line, you just said, you know what, go ahead, do a rugby scrum. I do think that the NFL Rules Committee is going to at least discuss it. But you're right, to the letter of the law, guys, what is illegal about that play? Nothing. Exactly. Steve Kim, let's close on this one because uh, I, I know this hit you a little bit uh, last week as uh, Burt Young passed away. If you want to explain to people who Burt Young was and you know his important role in all the Rocky movies. Yeah, Burt Young played Paulie who was the brother-in-law to Rocky Balboa. And in fact, he was the one who played Chuck Woolery. He was a matchmaker, if you remember, in, uh, in uh, the original Rocky. And uh, uh, what's-her-face, Adrian was cooking the Thanksgiving bird. And he says, oh, no, no, you get the hell out of here. He threw the turkey out into the cold, and they went on their blind date to the uh, roller rink or the ice skating rink for about 10 minutes, right? And that, that became um, part of that great franchise. And... I don't know if you guys know this guy. You know, Burt Young actually did box. He had an amateur boxing career. He actually was oh, the hey. one guy that actually laced him up, kind of, sort of, for real. And uh, Burt Young was part of a great ensemble cast, guys. I really thought, and again, I only count the first four Rocky movies, Rocky Five. The rest, they don't really, you know, I, don't, I don't acknowledge them. But every character of that particular franchise, from Apollo Creed to Burgess Meredith as, as uh, the trainer, Mick, I thought was perfectly cast and uh, rest in peace to Burt Young. I don't think anyone else was made for that role. Steve, excellent spot, man. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a great week. Yeah, we'll get into the, the tush push for Joe Shad to say that this is getting absurd because here's what we got. If you outlaw that, then I've got about five other things you're going to have to outlaw here. This is a slippery slope. It is. Because I don't know when it became part of the game for, hey, instruct the running back when he runs into a pile, everyone go around him and let's go as a giant ball of fury down the field and no one will whistle the play dead. Of course, unless I, uh, Isaiah Pacheco for the Chiefs fumbles doing it and then the play was whistled dead.